For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and, uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is the Big Picture, a conversation show about garbage cash, a.k.a. trash cash, a.k.a. money movies, a.k.a. financial films. These are movies about the monsters who run the cash flow in this world. The richest man I know is here, Chris Ryan. Call me collateralized Chris. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling about the markets right now? Let's just jump right in. (sighs) Oh... It's it, it, it's a rough time, but it's yeah. also a good time if you're opportunistic. Okay. You know, um, I was pretty disappointed to ha- find out about NFTs yesterday. <laughs> you're not liquid. That was a words. blow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> tough. How much have you lost in the NFT market? Who can say? I mean, you know, like what what are we counting them as? Like anime characters? You know, like what are what are the what are the, even the figures anymore? What's the denominations? I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a critical point in the movie that we're going to be talking about today, and the other movies that are related to it. Dumb money, in which a character notes that you can lose money to infinity. That there is a way <laughs> to lose money forever and to go into a forever debt. Yeah. Um, the movie is Dumb Money. Uh, it's directed by Craig Gillespie. It is a docudrama that recreates many of the events of the GameStop investing saga. Uh, it features some real-life figures, and it features some inventions, some composites. Um, it's only opening in 200 theaters this week, and it will be expanding wide next week. Amanda and I have had a chance to see it. See, are you having? In solidarity with the rest of the country, the flyover states, <laughs> I decided not to see this film last night. So I will be adopting a little bit more of a Jiminy Glick kind of... <laughs> persona during this segment where I'm saying, tell me what this movie's about. <laughs> Amanda, what was it about for you? What did you think Dumb Money was actually movie, about? Is it money stupid in this movie? <laughs> uh, this was a movie about the internet and also about the more classic people who feel excluded from the financial system making a stand and trying to win their, you know, get their way in and win one for the little guys. Um, and it is told mostly from that perspective, from the perspective of um, Roaring Kitty. What's his name? Roaring Kitty. Roaring uh, Kitty. Keith Gill, who yes. was an independent in- investor who was working as a financial analyst at Mass Mutual, but was clearly a middle class guy, played by Paul Dano in this movie. And he was, you know, a driving force on 
our Wall Street bets, where CR was camped out for a couple of mm-hmm. years there. I did spend a lot of time there. Yeah, I remember. Um, and I kind of want to talk about that, like our relationship to this story versus the story that this movie is telling. Um, pretty star-studded cast of character actors. You've got America Ferreira, Vincent D'Onofrio as Steve Cohen, a.k.a. the owner of the New York Mets and the leader of Point72. A hedge fund. Oh, really? Yes. I wish that you had sent me a text message with that information. Did you not know that? I, I, I knew that, but I didn't put it together while watching because I was watching with, you know, internet mind and not Mets mind. I mean, we can talk about Steve Cohen a little bit. I think he's a fascinating figure in this story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking sports watching right here. <laughs> but also, you know, Pete Davidson's in the movie. Shailene Woodley's in the movie. Um, Anthony Ramos. It's a pretty packed cast. And the film itself really ping-pongs very quickly across all of these different experiences from people who are investing in GameStop to the people who manage all of this massive fortune um, at the hedge funds to, you know, people who work at a GameStop and their perspective on what's happening there. Uh, As with all Craig Gillespie movies, it's a very fast-moving and loud character piece. That is what he does. He does quick-cutting movies that have very obvious needle drops that are often very entertaining, but that I historically find pretty shallow. Um, I thought this movie was incredibly watchable and at times a lot of fun. And then by the end of it, I did, felt like I didn't really learn much and I didn't really feel very deeply aside from really liking Keith Gill, the, yes. the Paul Dano character. And I think the Paul Dano is wonderful in the movie, does a great job of communicating. I think something that a lot of people in America feel, which is a sense of powerlessness and confusion and frustration and an attempt to get yourself out of the financial hole that many people find themselves in. It's very good at that. I'm not spoiling anything by revealing that. Aside from that, I thought it was a little caricature-ish, if I'm being honest. What'd you I, think? No, I agree with you. And and part of it is just that it is a very wide cast of characters, and it is moving very quickly. So no one really gets any room besides the Paul Dano character. Um, so they can really only be caricatures. It's the other thing where, because this is very recent history and very recent internet history, when you're telling a story about the internet, you just wind up using the internet. And there is like a, there are a lot of TikTok and YouTube clips. And this is all, if you will remember, set during COVID. I thought this was like a pretty good movie Completely about agree. the COVID world and just like the small details and who's wearing masks and, and who's not. But, you know, because it's set in a COVID movie, everyone's in a different place. So it's a lot of different pieces being jammed together very of the internet, which it has to be, but at some point it's like, no, I want to watch a movie instead of TikTok. That's why I'm here, Uh, which is, I think, something we'll just have to negotiate on and on as the, you know, internet takes over our lives. But I I agree that Paul Dano's character is the, is he, is the only person that gets any space and really any character development. Um, Yeah, I mean, there are two characters in particular in the movie, Chris, one one of your favorites, Mahala Harold, yeah. you know, the star of industry and her girlfriend in college, uh, who's played by the great Talia Ryder, two really exciting young actors. They have these parts that are like just kind of invention characters or like standing characters for broke kids in debt in college and how they got invested in the GameStop story. You know, I understand why they're there. They're there to provide a perspective that was very relevant to this story. They're not really real people. And the only times when they get to reveal details about their lives, they're kind of in monologue format about like yeah. what their dads did and how their dads lost their job in a way that you would never talk to your friend. Yeah. And so that's the inherent challenge of a movie that is overwhelmed 
with information for the audience. I think it's very cleverly constructed where it's communicating what the net worth of each character is every time you meet a new character in the world. And there is something tongue-in-cheek in an amusing way about the actors who are cast as the hedge fund managers. Seth Rogen is Gabe Plotkin, the hedge fund manager who took the biggest bath in this story. And, and he who, still bought the Hornets. Um, is that true? Yes. Um, well, his hedge fund, as far as I know, has been liquidated. So that's fascinating. That's where he I moved he his did. money. I think Plotkin bought the Hornets from Michael Jordan. And then, of course, you've got Nick Offerman as Ken Griffin, who is really an arch-villain in this story, and Steve Cohen, who, who you know, just... This is the big picture, you know, me and Bob, we work on this show. <laughs> Steve Cohen is a big part of our lives on a day-to-day basis. Um, I actually don't think he comes off that bad. No, um, he doesn't. He really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. um, he comes off more bemused by this world than anything else, which I find to be fascinating because you could make the case that that is actually more sinister than someone like Ken Griffin, who is a cartoon yeah, villain. Yeah, Ken Griffin's right. a bad hombre. Yeah. Um, With all due respect. But Cohen is a person who <laughs> is, is used as... Um, a portrait of the way that money protects money, the way the power protects power, which I think is, that's an interesting underlying current in the film that is glossed, was glossed over a little bit much for me. That yeah. some of the movies we'll talk about today, I think are quite good at revealing that these structures are impenetrable and will never be destroyed because of the way that someone like Cohen operates. As a side note, do you think that you and I should individually adopt a billionaire to cape for? Oh, as he's caping for, for Steve, Steve Cohen. Cohen yeah. Would you say that you're caping for him? He calls him so, daddy. I, yeah. no, I, I have such a complicated. I was gonna. I was gonna say my reading of your parasocial relationship with Steve Cohen at this moment. It. I don't. It doesn't seem extremely positive. Well, they're obviously the Mets are having a disastrous season. Right. I don't think that the fans put that at his feet, but I think he came in with a lot of bluster and bravado. It's been three years. He ain't done jack shit. You know? But weren't like, you tweeting a lot at the beginning of this season about like no one's getting fired and like what the hell and tweeting he, a lot? <laughs> yeah. You, well, it's it also <laughs> tweeting at various points over the last couple of years. Uncle Steve is here. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I love that he's willing to spend money. Yeah. I think okay. that that's amazing. But that's that is, you know, it, I think it mirrors some of this sure. story. And also it's relevant because the Mets owners prior to Steve Cohen were very cheap. And being in a, a major market team that generated a lot of revenue, their cheapness was a huge frustration point for a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. So his willingness to, you know, send $300 million Gabe Plotkin's way or send $300 million the way of the Mets' standing salary is, is appreciated. You know, I think that <laughs> these two things are correlated in some ways. Um, right. It's just making content. Uh, Who yeah. does Gabe Plotkin most closely correlate to on the current Mets roster? If you're uh, probably Max Scherzer. Okay, um, who's who, no longer who is on the no Mets. longer on the Mets, but is being paid effectively by the Mets to not be on the Mets. Okay, yeah, um, and who sure. failed in big spots, just as Gabe Plotkin did. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I hate him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't see uh, Bob. Is there anything you want to say about Steve Cohen here? I mean, in relation to this movie, which I also have not seen, I'm in the Chris boat over here with Middle America, like like usual, waiting to see it with the crowds, with the people. You the just people saw Killers of the Flower Moon yesterday, so you can no yeah. longer say right. shit like okay. that, Bobby. All I, right. I, okay. I want to say that when I went yesterday to see Dumb Money, I met a big picture listener. Mm. So, wow, you know, nice. peop- some people are out there doing the work, not our producer, Bobby, or the sometimes third chair, Chris Ryan. <laughs> Seriously, two guys who live in New York and LA. <laughs> but our, but our, our listeners, when they I can, think- are there. I think um, Steve Cohen has brought a Wall Street mentality to baseball for better or for worse. And because of how successful he is in his Wall Street life depicted in this movie, he brings like this weird long-term, like heavy investment, I'm going to go long 
on baseball and turn the Mets into this like big behemoth and raise the value and make them like Yankees Dodgers esque. Okay. That I based on how you guys are describing it, it seems like he's just kind of like here for the along for the ride in a way that I think is a, maybe slightly poisoning the game of baseball, but also it's okay because it was. I think it's more like with. It, you sound like you're in a hostage video right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> he's positioned in this movie the way I think he hopes to position his baseball team, which is yeah. like he's been in finance for 40 years, so he and he's worth 20 billion dollars. He's the richest owner in professional sports. In sports, though, he hasn't really had any success yet, so he's going to take some shots from the likes of me. The movie itself is pretty good. You know, it's not it's it's not not bad. Um, it's entertaining. It, it I don't know if it was like deeply informative. It's a story that was widely covered. Yes. And when the story was tr- just as it was sort of wrapping up, there were many many um, creators who said that they were going to cover this story. You know, cr- make something out of this story. Podcast, TV series, miniseries, films. This is really the only one that has emerged. There's been right. a couple of docs, but nothing. And I wonder if like. Do we need anything else about this? Well, the whole thing was so on the surface and on Reddit and so, like, deeply covered. And also, most of us were, like, at home or just on a screen with nothing else to do except to consume this. That there are larger themes that this movie, like, kind of, like, hints at with the Paul Dano character. And I guess, like, the... The college students. I'd like to give a shout out to America Ferreira, a.k.a. Stonk Mom. Um, which is just she's a stand-in for Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda didn't was name, that character based on you? No, she I didn't name her favorite billionaire. <laughs> Not yet. Okay, I'm, but um, America Ferreira, like doing the Lord's work again this year, in a like in a small supporting role as a mom, just with just trying to make it work. Uh, yeah, well, well uh, maybe being typecast at this point um, as just a woman who's really working hard. I thought she was good. Yeah. I was worried about her account balance. Everyone else, I was like, you know, good luck to you. But that was the only time where, and we're going to talk about these movies, and I, I do feel like a hallmark of garbage cash is like at some point you need to be like really nervous that someone's going to lose like all, their all of oh, yeah. their money. And yeah. it needs, you need to have that feeling in the pit of your stomach. And I, I had that for her. I wanted her to sell. She didn't. She held the line diamond hands, which I actually did not know about until I wasn't like on wall street bets or what, whatever it was. Uh, was Chris, it, yeah, yeah. Chris gave me updates. It was a, a hugely important thing in my life for 48 hours. <laughs> You know, like uh, among many things in during COVID where like one night I had my phone propped up next to my laptop, drunk, crying, watching RZA and DJ Premier do a versus competition. And I was like, this is, this is how I'm going to spend the rest of my life talking to my friends on text message because I can't see them. And then I was over it. And I haven't thought about versus since then. And the same thing kind of with Wall Street bets. For 48 hours, I was like, it's important that Mickey Down and Conrad K from industry join us on the pod <laughs> to discuss Wall Street bets and GameStop. And then, like, I literally have not given... I mean, I think about finance, but not in this kind of passionate way. No, you you think about it a lot. My favorite part of any watch podcast is when you're like, well, money used to be cheap and it's not anymore. <laughs> I do. I do say that a lot. <laughs> Who first told you that? Where'd you glean that from? Charlie uh, Charlie Munger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do like watching Warren Buffett videos on YouTube. Okay. Because is he your favorite billionaire? Uh, no, George Soros is my favorite <laughs> billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's uh, good. Um, any? Are you ready to give your billionaire yet? 
No, I guess let me Google billionaires. My right thing now. about Rupert Murdoch retired today. Yeah, you know about Munger is like it, which it's, one? So Lachlan is the Kendall. No, there's Kendall is a combination of James and Lachlan. Okay, but Lachlan is like James Kendall was the rap was, guy, plus, and Lachlan is like I'm going to start my fascist, own media company. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, but he okay. may be. Lachlan is the eldest. Yeah, he like may Kendall. he may he may not redirect Fox's energies the way some were hoping. J- James uh, yeah. Lachlan will, oh, but James, James intends to. James intends to. Yeah, uh, J- James's plan. But is I'm into the, the. I'm into the. He art. has the job, but he doesn't have the power because the power will be divided amongst all four equally, and in all likelihood, they can vote Lachlan out of that position of power at Fox News if Elizabeth and James want to reposition the company as more left leaning. Yeah, which is something that they have suggested they would do when their father passes on. Right, 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 right. Okay. Uh, Mackenzie Scott, you know. You're looking up billionaires? Yeah, no, I'm looking at the Forbes list of billionaires. Is that Jeff Bezos' ex? Yeah. Okay. Who's just given away all of his money okay. uh, and also found love again. So that's okay. like, that's a, that's a Who's pretty Who's her good... paramour? I don't know, but I did note that she already, maybe she found love and already got divorced again. I'm not actually sure, but you know what? It happens. It happens. Um, the Arnaud family seems like they're into some things that I'm interested in. <laughs> so, <laughs> just putting well, that out there. Um, okay, I'm, I'm holding tight <laughs> to see it going. Did, did they, they just buy Louis CAA? No, 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 that's the Pinos. So, okay. they, the, the Pino is Salma Hayek, Pino's husband, and they own Caring, which does own a lot of fashion brands, but the Arnos are the Louis Vuitton conglomerate. Have we confirmed that Pino saw Magic Mike 3? <laughs> no, we haven't. Would you? I mean, I mean, it is clearly about him directly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Would you be able to come back from that? <laughs> I think he's like, I'm married so. to Selma Hayek, yeah. so it's all good. Yeah. Also, I've got seven billion. <laughs> yeah. And now I own CAA. Uh, would you want to own CAA? I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be an incredible bit, but but I don't know that I would have really the wherewithal. I don't have the time. I'm on, I'm on all these pods. You yeah. Know? Well... I just for- want you guys to know that Ru- the Murdochs are 99 right now on this list of billionaires. They're almost not in the top 100. Okay. Like, well, I don't well know. how are I'm they just- ranked? By hotness? No, by how much <laughs> money they dog? have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Right. Where's so, Cohen? Tough Where's times. Cohen? Oh, um, I'm searching. 94. Mm. This this seems to be like updating, like pretty live updates. Live know? updates? Yeah, like there's a, there's a person whose entire job is just moving I'm people sure up and down are, on the billionaire I'm track? sure there are multiple people. Oh like, I'm sure this is driving Forbes' entire business. Okay. The people just searching are you, billionaires. Are you looking at like Fark.com? No, I'm looking, looking, looking at, at Forbes.com <laughs> slash billionaires. Look at this. Oh, you want to talk about special builds? That's good. Forbes the, is on it. That's kind of the QB rankings. <laughs> yes. Who's the Steven Ruiz of billionaires? I'm sure that there's someone who works very hard on this. Okay, interesting. Uh, anyway. I, what did, before billionaires, you? I, I was supposed to. I was going to say something, but what was it? How in the hell would we know the answer to that? That's a good question. Oh, I was just saying, watching dumb money while knowing that we were going to do a garbage cash episode mm-hmm. was exactly the right way to see. I think garbage cash is a great invention for this type of mo- this type of movie, which is like fine watchable scratches uh, you know the itch of this type of movie which i like and then i went on with my day it is a perfect fit in the subgenre exactly though. perfect because it's not too good yeah and whether or not a movie can be too good for this you know historically chris we've done many episodes now about crime movies spy movies movies that take place in airplanes a lot of different subgenres that we like underlying those films is often 
a kind of mediocrity that we really enjoy. Yeah. Um, whether that be by dint of budget or by dint of writing or whatever is holding it back from being Academy-worthy or a billion-dollar film, they're middle-of-the-road movies that are a lot of fun. This category is a little bit different yeah. to me. I think it, a lot of these movies may stand in the shadow of a more popular achievement, but are not necessarily in any way less than. You know what I mean? So I think often what we'll talk about with the garbage movies is like it's almost a copy of, like it's a certified copy of Hunt for October. It's a copy of, uh, I don't know. Heat. Well, yeah, yeah, Heat, right. Like that's the, Dead of Thieves is like the sort of archetypal garbage movie where you're just like, without Heat, this movie could not be made, but in some ways its pleasures are equal. I wouldn't say that, but like they're, they're like, they're incredible pleasures from watching Ten of Thieves. These movies, like for like, I think some of them are like some of my favorite films from the last 20 or 30 years, but like often are compared to something that either popularity-wise, like just outshines it, mm-hmm. or artistically kind of like sets the sets the tone for it. Amanda made an interesting point, you know, like with dumb money, part of the the trickiness really of any contemporary story is that the internet kind of dominates our lives. And so to render that is is kind of dull visually, cinematically. But money is not necessarily cinematically interesting either. And yet these movies have an incredible kind of propulsiveness. They're very involving. They feel very high stakes. Like, obviously, we can tell the difference between having a TikTok account and having a million dollars. Having a million dollars is more exciting and more important and higher stakes. But still, visually, it's not the greatest thing. So why do these work? Well, what money can buy mm-hmm. uh, is, and how money is spent in these worlds is, uh, can be very, uh, Visually specific uh, and either, you know, alluring or just tacky and spectacularly visual ways. So there is a lot that you can do with the culture of the thing. And there is, you know, um, especially if you're talking about like finance specifically, everyone dresses a certain way. You know, there's like there is a whole world within it that um, has its own rules and rigors and is fascinating uh, and still not accessible to most people. So it is like a peek behind the curtain, right? Of how you imagine all of these, you know, these Wall Street weirdos uh, and legends behave. How do you know you're watching a garbage cash movie? Well, uh, money being the motivating factor behind most human behavior (laughs) these days, it makes it um, the acquisition of and the keeping of riches is essentially like what the movie has to be about. It doesn't necessarily have to be a movie about finance. It doesn't have to be a movie about the stock market or banking or anything like that. But I think that being the cent- like money being the central preoccupation of the characters is when you know you're watching something like this. What do you think of when you think of these movies? I think of usually a, a someone either lower in on the system or... Someone from yeah. outside some sort of system is like, these guys have a lot and we're going to try to have some too. Mm. And here's, here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to make this work for us. Um, and so I guess that outsider, like the little guy against the the big guy um, mentality. And then also like actual, like money. Yeah, money's a language. So, like, just like crime is a language, espionage is a language, space travel is a language. Like, to be convincing in telling these stories, you have to like speak this language, and like the jargon is is very heavy, as they are in most of these garbage genres. And artfully kind of conveying basic human behavior through like these incredibly complex terms and mm-hmm. ideas of like of like of modern finances. Actually, like 
the, the, the big magic trick these movies pull. So for me as a viewer, when someone looks into the camera and explains his, explains collateralized debt obligations, like that's intoxicating. I don't know <laughs> that that's true for everybody. But when something like that is happening in a movie, I don't know why. I don't really have an intellectual understanding of what a CDO is or even why it's fun for me to watch an actor explain it. But I like it. And I'm not in finance, and I'm not really that interested in the world of finance, if I'm being totally honest. I don't right. spend a lot of time but reading the financial page. But it's because, as America Ferreira's character in Dumb Money says, it's like, because it's all made up. And so, mm. and they they make it, you know, like you're being MCU let in on a secret. No, you're majors. being let in on a secret. You're being let oh. inside the club. They're like, this is how it works. And if you know this, then you're one of us instead of one of them. But so, like, that doesn't really apply to my 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 personal life as much. I've been trying to figure out why that is. Like, I don't spend a lot of time looking at my portfolio. Right. You know, I'm not, I don't want to better understand some of these things. In fact, I, they, frankly, they bore me. So why is it that in a, in a movie, I realize this is a me problem. Sure. Well, in a movie, why is it so, so exciting? Because it's pure drama. Because you can watch Margin Call and you can watch Jeremy Irons walk around the room and be like, I am going to get rid of all this like toxic debt that's on the books of this company and kill Wall Street. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. And you do not know, you know, like they literally have rocket scientists in the room trying to explain this. And all you get is the idea that this is fucked up and important and whatever happens, everything is going to be different tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's riveting. It's absolutely riveting. Yeah. that's. I think that's why margin call, especially looms very large in recent yeah. years of, of this because it is kind of a summation of that drama- those dramatic stakes that you're describing. And it's a much less glib version of what Big Short does, you know? Yes. Uh, so in some ways, in so- you could make the argument that Big Short is the garbage version of Margin Call. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, what flavor of these movies you like? Do you like one that plays it more straight and more serious? Or do you like one that plays it more winking and more s- satirical? I like them all. Okay. I mean, I don't, I, you know, they have different, you could probably do subgenres within the subgenre, but I guess if you're asking me to choose between Big Short and Margin Call, I like the Big Short a little bit more, but that's just because of like, you know, the the cast, like the yeah. elevated nature of it. Also, like, I don't know when the last time you guys saw Margin Call, but like Kevin Spacey, like being the emotional like linchpin at the end, it's like, you know, it's not really, it's. Hasn't aged the best. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Something <laughs> happened with Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, it just takes, like, a really long time, and it's, like, the dog, and I'm just like, what are we doing Oh, yeah, here? that's right. You know? See, this like, is why I watch Margin Call mostly on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the, that, uh, the first half and through Jeremy Irons yeah. is amazing, and then it's just, like, Kevin Spacey. Spacey is good when it. he's like, this is what a fire sale looks yeah. like. It's pretty <laughs> His good. His performance is very good in the film, it's despite the fact that he clearly has done monstrous things. Um... I think that that's an interesting aspect of these movies. Before we started recording, I just said to Bob, I need you to find places to put speeches from these movies because they have these great individual scenes. You know, they have these great monologues. They have these great explanations of the situations that are just like, they're YouTube moments. Yeah. And even the movies that we've talked about in other garbage subgenres, I I feel like they don't quite have the same experience. I watch... Scenes from Margin Call like this. I watched Ben Affleck's speech from Boiler Boiler Room, Room. which is the life advice theme song, basically. I watch (laughs) Jared Vanette's opening presentation to Steve, to Gosling's presentation to Steve uh, Carell from Big Short, like over and over again. Whenever I'm like, I have 10 minutes, I'm bored. 
I want to see uh, like Jeremy Strong go, that's a nice shirt. Do they make it for men <laughs> to Ryan Gosling? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hadn't really thought about this, but 25th Hour similarly has a very similar sequence, yeah. you know, with yeah. Barry Pepper's character. And Your tie is, a fu- is giving me a op- fucking... <laughs> it's an optical illusion. Yeah. yeah, you look like an optical illusion. Um, some of that is that there's also something funny about aggro men insulting each other in rooms. Um, yeah. and, and that is a, that's a the feature of these of films. Yes. Um, not not strictly. And then there are much more sober examinations, I think, of the world. And then also, I guess we 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 posed a couple of questions about whether some movies are and are not gar- garbage yeah. cash. And so I feel like a lot of our conversation should be like, you. I, one, somebody put I down added Mike, Michael Clayton. Like, yeah. is Michael Clayton a garbage cash I would movie? posit that it is instead garbage suit because okay. it's about oh, corporate God. conspiracy. You did it. Wow. Yeah. You unlocked and it. And so is The Insider. Okay. Which has that YouTube moment of the, you know, your incompetent little fingers. Christopher Plummer's so good in The Insider. But that's, mm. even though the corporate Try Mr. Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though the corporations want money, you know, and money is ultimately animating both Michael Clayton and Insider. Like, what's <laughs> at stake there is is corporate intrigue. Okay. And so I think, like... We're, we're slicing the garlic very, yeah, very thin. No, here. I don't think so. But that's it's not about money. Like, they are not actually doing, here is what, like, a leveraged buyout is. And not, like, here well, is, like, XYZ. Right, they're not doing finance. Yeah. But Brown and Williamson or whatever the, the, the cigarette a, company is is trying to protect their bottom it's an line. It's ag- agribusness. Right. Yeah. In Michael Clayton, by yeah. in The Insider. Right, right, like, right, you know, right, right. But so... But then that's, that's interesting to kind of explore, though, because that Chris saying that money is what motivates most people, yeah. that is what is underlining all movies that operate in a corporate sphere. Dumb Money is a corporate movie yeah. for right. sure. Not right. just about GameStop as a corporation, but the way that these hedge funds are constructed to be corporate apparatuses yeah. that navigate but our like, country. If you want to go big, like money is animating like basically every single yeah. American yeah, movie that we love. Yeah, that, you know, that, that Citizen Kane and gold. yeah, like yeah. right. So that that's like a tough a Citizen Kane garbage cash? Right. I don't I don't think it is. The other thing that I would say to you is that like we need to we need more podcasts, you know? So like why don't we just like You're going them... to reverse rewatchable well, so we're like, running out of movies. Garbage suits. Yeah. Okay. You know, okay. can like be its own. It's like if awesome you, you, you wouldn't make a movie, you wouldn't do a pod garbage men and just go through all men <laughs> in movies and do a seven hour Amanda podcast. Amanda does it every week. Every <laughs> talk. To Amanda's point about Michael Clayton and Insider. Traditionally, two of the great movies historically, of the last just thirty years, as good as they get. Garbage versions of those would be like arbitrage. Yeah, right. Like yes. the, the it's not Gere quite film. Michael Clayton. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's the thing. People are sitting at home and they're hearing us say, "The Insider," Michael Clayton, "The Wolf of Wall Street." Right. These are some of the best movies of the last twenty five years. The be- like they're on like, the list, but of it's the best. Yeah, movies. but it, it is tough because as soon as you said garbage cash, I was like, I don't know how you leave Wolf of Wall Street off that list, right. even though Wolf of Wall Street is one of the best movies of the last 20 years, one of my favorite Scorsese movies, full stop. Like, amazing movie, but it's so, like, I guess it encapsulates, like, this, like, the spirit of the thing, of mm-hmm. just, like, a truly garbage guy yeah. trying to, like, make a lot of money um, and then that going wrong and then is also, like, the most visually, like, engaging version of it. I don't know. I guess garbage is meaning two things. What is it meaning? Well, like the the Leo character in Wolf of Wall Street is a garbage person yeah. in search of cash. So oh. it can be a garbage cash. I like what you're doing here. Well, 
That's, I'm just, no, that's good. That's good. Know. That's useful. That's okay. useful. I, we hadn't quite thought about the moral character of the spies and the is astronauts. There a, are there any movies about episodes. money that are about good people? Hmm. Well, dumb money is trying. Yeah. Dumb Money is that rare case where it is centering someone. Do you think if Martin Scorsese had made Dumb Money that the characters in Dumb Money would be heroes at all? There would be any heroes in it? I don't because I think he has a kind of inherent cynicism about this structure. You could make the case that that's kind of Dumb Money's flaw. Right. Is that by making it a movie that is meant to be uplifting, it misunderstands the fact that like nothing has really changed since all this happened. But so I'm looking at this wonderful list of like the greatest movies ever made that Sean put together. I would say Aaron Brockovich to me is another Garbage Suits. Okay. You know? But that's a good person. So maybe Garbage Suits are about good people and Garbage Cash is about bad people. I think you're on to something with the corporate corruption being a a subgenre of a subgenre. Yeah. You know, it's something that is is related and but then that takes a lot of movies off the What's list. What's the Clive Owen, the Tony Gilroy movie about Duplicity? Duplicity. I was thinking about that in terms of like, is that that a garbage cash? That's a garbage suit. But that is but that is like a true garbage suit where it's like not the Wolf of Wall Street or any, you know, or it's it's not when Harry met Sally because it's trying to be a rom com. Yes. But it's uh really enjoyable and uh they it just doesn't make any sense. Would you say that Jason Reitman's Thank You for Smoking is also a garbage suit movie? Probably, yeah. Okay. And like, I, I, Up in the Air is, I guess, a garbage suit because that's about, I don't like that movie. So it's about I've, layoffs. Yeah. yeah. What about American Psycho? That's garbage cash, but great garbage cash. Yeah, I'd put that in there. I mean, most people would probably put that as a serial killer movie. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't we be both? It can be both, yeah. I mean, you can make the case that all movies about people who are confined answers in a, yeah. serial in a, killer in movies. In a world in which, and I actually was surprised by how few bad movies or just okay movies about money, money, like like about trading money and that were sort of at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of movies that are like actually quite quite well regarded that are about that. But like these tend to, I think it's like one of those things that like, if Martin Scorsese is going to make a movie about money, it's going to be pretty fucking good. You know, if right. if like Adam McKay is going to make a movie about money, it's going to be pretty good. The best example that I can give of something that's just like, is just okay, but like I secretly like it a lot the way I do Den of Thieves or whatever mm-hmm. is like Wall Street 2. I think I think yes. Money Never Sleeps is probably Ble- the er yes. garbage cash That movie. and Boiler Room, I think, are the two. Right, Boiler yeah. Room. Yeah. Boiler. Well, I... We probably need, we probably need to spend some time on Boiler Room. Did you revisit Boiler Room? I did. Okay, so all three of us revisited yes, Boiler did. Room. Um, I don't know if Boiler Room will ever be on the rewatchables, but let's say for the sake of this conversation, it won't. It's one of the most important movies of the last fifty years. Doesn't mean it's one of the best movies. Of the last <laughs> it 50 makes years. me think of you a lot. It is very. It is a very familiar <laughs> landscape. I would say the men who occupy that movie. Um, this is uh, Ben Younger's directorial debut. He's only made three movies in 25 years. And it's kind of a post-Glengarry Glenn Ross it's portrait. It's, I mean, it yeah. literally, it, it quotes always be closing. They watch Which, it. To its credit, they, it's aware of the influence and, yes. and paying homage. Very admiring of yeah. Glengarry Glenn Ross and would not exist without it. Um, with a young cast of interesting young Hollywood stars who are working at a chop shop selling 
shit stocks to unsuspecting customer, customers by cold calling. In fact, it's an interesting movie to watch alongside The Wolf of Wall Street because another movie set in large part on Long Island full of dipshits trying to get rich by you know, bankrupting people. Um, obviously, The Wolf of Wall Street is a work of a massive work of art about the corrosive nature of this part of the world. Boiler Room is less artful and is definitely written by a guy who's just like super into the notor- notorious B.I.G., um, which like, you know, who can relate? Oh but uh, it's a it's weird how it lingers. Yeah. It like, it's a movie that hasn't gone away. And so, it was a dorm room movie for a long time. And now yeah. it's like a lot of the dorm room guys are in their 40s and they're like, you know, I still like Boiler Room. And, and I, I'm kind of one of those guys. And I have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about Boiler Room is like there, so there's a scene in that movie where I believe they're watching Wall Street, right? And they're taking the wrong lessons from Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. They're like basically lionizing Gecko, and they're like, oh my God, this guy, watch him like take this dude apart and make this sale or whatever. Right. Are those the wrong lessons from Wall Street? Well, I think now in the in retrospect, people maybe take the wrong lessons from Boiler Room, I, where they're yes. like the coolest thing about this, and it is the coolest thing about Boiler Room, is Ben Affleck being like, "I am liquid, I have you know, I have a Ferrari." <laughs> there's the keys and doing yeah. his speech. I have a sick house on the South Fork. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I um I do think that there is an entire generation of traders who watched these movies, internalized them, took no moral lesson, yeah. and believed that they, they are a lifestyle. They watched Wolf, and they were like, that yeah. seems yes. awesome. It is, the just as Scarface is for drug dealers, this movie is for people who work on Wall Street. And and a number of other movies, too. And, and, and the best, most moral movies, obviously, are always distorted and misunderstood by mass audiences. But, you know, I, the end of Boiler Room was, really struck me. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And it is so abrupt and so absent true reckoning that it's understandable that people took the wrong message. Like yeah. Giovanni Rubisi is just like, I got full immunity and I bounced and yeah. then the cops showed up and then the movie just ends and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, and so it's kind of persuasive in, in a bad way yeah. because those guys are doing awful things and they're just like, I, I racked 200K this month. Look, yeah. at how, look at how good I am. It's unusual, though, because you're right that there are not a lot of movies like it. Why are there not more mid-tier movies that are portals for aspiring stars? Is it just because it's such an unlikable cohort in our culture? It's also, these are like very talky movies about concepts, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And we all, the three people here, really enjoy them. And many people do like dudes yelling at each other in rooms, but, like, that's not what makes the box office go around, you know? So I think it just went the way of every other drama featuring dialogue, which is, eh, we'll try it sometimes, but it's not how we make our money. Do you like movies like this that are seen through the prism of, like, the government? Like, Too Big to Fail? Or something like that? No, I like the Cowboys. Yeah. You like the Cowboys? Yeah. I don't I don't really care about, like, this guy from the IRS has got to, like, you know, take a little bit back. I, I like watching, like, bad people trade money around. <laughs> I guess I should burn my script about an IRS agent who nobly pursues some poor family. Um, is Moneyball garbage cash? I, I don't think so. I It's one of our favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um... And it has the spirit of, mm-hmm. and if it's not garbage suits, I think it's explicitly a sports movie. Yeah, that's I think it's garbage what I ball think as well. The garbage other thing is, ball. yeah, you were asking just, I hate to be this person, but you were like, what? Why don't they make more movies like that? And it's like because they make Succession in industry now. Yeah, and billions. Yeah, I guess. 
Yeah. Billions in particular yeah. lives in this space yes. very clearly. The right? first season of Tons Billions. of yes. lingo, you know, the energy between the traders on the, the floor. Vests. Yeah, yeah, the styling, the absolute depravity at the core of these characters, and yet our fascination with them. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. What about, so there's a lot of movies like this that use this world. Mm-hmm. Money Monster is a movie that uses this world. That's a movie that is like loosely set yeah. on the set of a Jim Cramer-esque TV oh, show. Yeah. And then it is a movie similar to what you're talking about, where there's somebody who is less than yeah. the Jack O'Connell character is taking someone hostage live on television. Right. I mean, that's like a, right. That's yeah. It's definitely an outsider, mm-hmm. but you know, it's right. But he's not buying Disney exactly. stuff, hoping, hope, hoping to make it all work. <laughs> like yeah. a, he has his different strategy. I think that's definitely garbage cash. I just don't know whether I would put that in the garbage cash hall of fame. Okay. Okay. Even though it does start George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Well, it's not a good film. Right, exactly. And that's a real challenge here. They really like working together. Yes, and they they have great chemistry, you know? Have they made a film that meets that chemistry? That's as good as their chemistry. Besides Ocean's Eleven. No, but they have Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve. That's true. I mean, but like... You did know. you check out Ticket to Paradise? I did. I watched it on a plane. How'd that go? It was fine. Okay. I thought it was enjoyable. Yeah. What do you think of that scene with Clooney reflecting on his life at the bar? <laughs> I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that that was, was a favorite of your guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the 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 film The Accountant? I think you're being a little literal. Okay, that's about an assassin. So, <laughs> someone shared with me on social media that they believe that this is the true triangulation of all of the garbage categories. That there is no movie that would more adequately reflect our missions here. In exploring these categories, okay. these subgenres. So it's garbage, cash, garbage, crime, crime. Definitely garbage, crime. I think there is a garbage espionage. Yeah, garbage aspect spy to this story. Aspect to it. Um, garbage. Well, Bernthal's in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons is in it. Obviously, it Affleck. could be garbage suits, sort of. Yeah, yeah, it definitely could be. Okay. Um, you know, but the- but if you're at the center of the Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. I guess the definition of a Venn diagram is that you are eligible for garbage cash. 
But I, I would agree. I think it's in the Venn diagram section that has everything except garbage cash. What about garbage math? Sure. Yeah. What else would be in that? The beautiful mind. Yeah. Mm. Um, would you put Bobby Fisher in that? Because he's like yeah, gaming sure. it out. Yeah, absolutely. War games. Um, what else? Hidden figures. Perfect. Yeah. yeah great. Um, I'm just trying to think of anything where they're writing, like they're solving the. I mean, Oppenheimer. Absolutely, you know? yeah. None of these movies are truly garbage. This is the real <laughs> problem: is we may be expanding the widening the aperture well, too I wide. Ju- the, okay, so they it's not like the other genres that we've done in this because they don't just have like a steady stream of B movies from mm-hmm. this world. Like most of these movies, like become cult favorites among like people like us because they are talky, mm-hmm. because they do have like this kind of hidden world, and because the stakes are kind of hidden by this jargon. But there's not like a ton of like shit movies about money. That's true. Like, when you go back and research this, it's just like, the movies that like, it's actually more common to be like, oh, I can't get this on the list because it's too good or it's too, yeah. it's too noble. Like, I was going to make a case for The Laundromat. And it's like, is The Laundromat like too noble to be on this list? Probably. And it's all about shell corporations and and fraud and... and I, I think Laundromat is a good garbage cash... Would you would you sooner put Laundromat on this list or Logan Lucky, or is Logan Lucky too much of a heist? It's a heist. I, that, yeah. That's a rule I have here: is that these are not heist movies. Like they cannot have a heist, even if it is just a corporate heist. It, that's that doesn't really qualify for what we're doing here. I think that there's also like the Wizard of Lies is the the Robert De Niro, Barry Levinson, Bernie Madoff mm-hmm. right. HBO movie. That to me is kind of pure garbage cash. Yeah, where there's a lot of lingo. There's high stakes. There's unseemly characters. It's, it's not even the hundredth best movie of that year, though. You know what I mean? Like the quality is very middling. But not unlike Dumb Money, you put it on, and I'm like, I'm not turning this off. You know, it's Michelle Pfeiffer and Robert De Niro yeah. in a movie that Barry Levinson directed. Like it's pretty good. It's pretty it's watchable. Pretty good. So you have one later entry on here, uh, Hustlers, mm. which I felt was a very clever addition. Thank I mean, you. obviously, just because of Wall Street, there are not a lot of movies or about women on this list. Mm-hmm. And one of the features of Garbage Cash is just like a bunch of, you know, lunkheads in a room mm-hmm. yelling at each other. I, like, I enjoy it too. <laughs> but like, Hustlers does recreate that. Yeah. And a lot, and it, uh, but with women and th- a lot of the same motivations, there is a lot, I mean, it is cash focused. Mm-hmm. Is it, um, isn't Hustlers during the credit crisis? No. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. or like, or, or, Yes, it is yeah. because it's like they were having a great year and then it crashes and then, and then the they're not making money yeah. because yeah. the Wall Street guys aren't paying them. No, I think it absolutely qualifies. Yeah. Um, I think that that's the other thing is just that 2008 now looms really large right. over Yeah, there's a whole like subgenre of this that could be tarp core <laughs> <laughs> movies in and around the, the credit crisis. And I would yeah. I love those movies. That would be Margin Call. That would be Big Short. That would be Hustlers. I think I failed. Did I put the other guys on here? The other guys is a is a great one because that's a you know it seems like a conventional Adam McKay comedy with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, but Steve Coogan's character, the villain of the movie, is just another bullshit Wall Street hedge fund asshole. And that was like the first indication that Adam McKay really kind of had something bigger on his mind, yeah. and he kind of pivoted his career shortly thereafter, including to The Big Short. But oh, um, it is very important to these movies. Would you put Trading Places in this list? I would. I would as well. I feel like th- that might be the first time I saw the stock market. 
among other things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it, yeah, it evolved yeah. me in so many ways, I would say. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of that movie. Would you put Working Girl on? I did, but I don't know. I know. I you, don't you, know. You're, what, you're well, the arbiter. I, no, I'm going back and forth on this because on the one hand, it's about a good person mm-hmm. and you're rooting for her. But she is an outsider trying to get in the thing, you know, in against Sigourney Weaver and all the people. That is about acquisitions and mergers and business people. I think when people think about, it's like an iconic movie in the like going to work thing. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have lots of people yelling at each other. Interesting. You know, okay. It doesn't have that sort of people in a room jargoning. It has Sigourney Weaver and Melanie Griffith like passive aggressively like fighting each other about like, you know, canapes, but um which is its own form of corporate warfare. So I don't know. I mean, I mean it's my favorite it's one of my favorite movies. I think there are more literal versions of it like yeah. a somewhat contemporaneous movie which is kind of a comedy, but also directed by Norman Jewison as Other People's Money, mm-hmm. the Danny DeVito movie with right. Gregory Peck, where, you know, he is literally a corporate raider. And a lot of the a lot of the things you hear about in that movie where big companies, you know, the Carl Icans of the world yeah. came in and like disrupted smaller mom and pop businesses. I probably learned about a lot of those ideas yeah. from watching a movie I like Other People's Money. Corporate raiders were introduced to us by by other people's money in Wall Street. Yeah, and and Barbarians at the Gate and, you know, those kind of docudramas of things that had happened at that time. You know what I haven't seen but I really want to see is The Boost. Have you seen The Boost? No. Uh, It's a Harold Becker movie from 1988. James Woods and Sean Young. And uh, it's about a guy who moves to California to find his fortune in tax shelter investments. When the federal government changes the law, the man finds himself $700,000 in debt with nowhere to turn. And his fr- friend introduces him to cocaine to give Lenny that needed boost. It's kind of limitless before limitless. Oh yeah, I think I've s- oh. I remember this movie. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it. I didn't see it, but I think I remember seeing like previews for it on VHS tapes and stuff. Felt like it had the same energy. And so the, the other, <laughs> what other, you weren't fast forwarding as a child. No, you'd have to get up and go press the button. And we didn't have. I was pre remotes in some ways. Yeah, yeah. So you were pre remote. I don't think VCRs came with remotes when they first came out. Did they? I honestly don't know. That's like, that is the oldest thing that you've ever said on a podcast. Yeah, but I'm I have a youthful energy to myself. We were, I know. You recorded a pod yesterday and and Bill unsurprisingly, but Chris somewhat surprisingly said he was more gen, at, no, he was more boomer no, you said than this. millennial. Oh, from your vantage point of Gen X? No, uh, I yes. think. So you are, because you're like true Gen X, but then you're more boomer than, I'm, I think that I'm is I'm late period Gen X. Mm-hmm. You said you related more deeply to Boomer than you did Millennial. Uh, It was recorded. Okay. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's true for all, you're not like, you're always relating to the people who are older than you, who you think are But you guys are Millennials, right? Yeah, we're Millennials, but like, I basically mock Gen X at all times, but I think I'm like, have a lot of Gen X influence because everything that I thought was cool are like, Gen X people, you know? Like Just me. age. Yeah, like you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's less complicated for us because Gen X is considered less problematic now as we get older. Yeah. I think Baby Boomer is considered right. archaic, hence, you know, Jan Wenner. It's yeah. Been wow. Time. Have you, do you stand with him? With, <laughs> with Jan? Jan? With Jan's takes? 
<laughs> I don't have a joke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> other garbage cash movies. There are a lot of other movies set in this world. Bonfire of the Vanities. Mm-hmm. Right, but that's H- just Hudsucker garbage. Hudsucker Proxy. It is just garbage. Good point. What else? Do you guys, did you guys revisit Money Never Sleeps for this pod? I didn't. Should I have? Did you? I've revisited some of Josh Brolin and Shia LaBeouf talking about day trading to get ready to be in this and how they would just essentially like derail uh, like promo opportunities for the film to just trumpet the fact that they were trading at one point like $17 million, you know? Uh, <laughs> I now also look back on that and wonder if Shia LaBeouf was totally telling the truth. I, I recall Josh Brolin being magnificent in this movie. He's incredible. He's really good. I actually think part of the problem with this film is Oliver Stone has lost his mind by this point. Yeah. And like there's a whole scene where Shia LaBeouf is trying to sell a Chinese corporation on laser fission. And and Oliver Stone is like, I have to explain laser fission with like <laughs> animations and shots of the sea cresting against the, the shore. And it doesn't really do the do the job. But Brolin's really good. I, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Wallach is in that film. <laughs> Yeah. When I didn't revisit uh, Money Never Sleeps, but when you said garbage cash, I was like, oh, okay, so Wall Street is just cash and Money Never Sleeps is garbage cash. That is the equation. That is the delineation for sure. Yes. That's the best way um, to describe it. I saw this. that you, you put Pretty Woman up for consideration. Thank you. You know, I feel seen. It's a world of uh, like a corporate Sure, and he is a, he is a corporate guy. raider. And, you know, he ha- he learns to, he wants to buy Ralph Bellamy's company mm-hmm. and then just like make ships or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's like set in the world rather than about. So mm-hmm. I would okay. say that it is not garbage cash. What about Brewster's Millions? In some ways, yeah. That's more like what Amanda was talking about, about outsiders being like trying to get their piece of the pie kind of thing. Do you know the, have you seen Brewster's Millions? No. Richard Pryor movie? So the, the premise is that, um, an aging minor league baseball player stands to inherit $300 million if he can successfully spend $30 million in 30 days without anything to show for it and without telling anyone what he's up to. Okay, so tease out great metaphor without for cocaine. anything. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and to your point about what money can buy you, it's sure. a movie where you're great. constantly so thinking about without that. Without anything to show for it, can you expand on that for me in the context of the movie? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an exploration of the valuelessness of material things and the way so, how quickly can you burn through what everybody wants. Right. But like, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry that I just was immediately like, hmm, how would I do this? And I feel that I... That's why it's a great movie. Right. I could do it. But like, are you allowed to have material goods at the end of it? or no, you, you, can, you have nothing, nothing to show for it. Nothing. Okay, so it's just like renting Because you could the, just buy a house for $30 million. Right, 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 right. So it's like just yachts and renting, like renting yachts and... It would have to also be like a lot of experiences. Like right, right. Hang, hang gliding. Okay. I don't like hang gliding. Have you tried um, it? No, that's a good point. <laughs> I haven't tried it. I have parasailed. Have you? Yeah, when I was like 12 in the Florida Keys. Really? Yeah. Listen, I told you that I was raised as a parrothead, and and here we are. Rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. Um, As an example, like one of the first things that Brewster does when he sets out on this mm -hmm. is he gets a suite at the Plaza Hotel. Oh, okay. Because at the end of that... Right, there's nothing to show for it. You could throw a lot of parties, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, He runs for mayor. And he dumps a lot of money into his mayoral campaign. Oh, okay. So it's about... All right, this is clever. It's a cool movie. It's a good movie. Walter Hill movie, underrated. Yeah, okay. What else? Any other movies jump out to you from this subgenre before we consecrate 10 that we think are appropriate? 
Can I can I give you guys one? I yeah. think yeah, I think we've covered a lot of them. Is killing them softly, which is of course a crime movie. It's an amazing movie about capitalism, but I don't know if it's a garbage cash movie. If you accept though that the metaphor is entire, could you could completely remake the film and set it in a boardroom and make it you could make it margin call without the murder, but yeah. the murder. Right. Well, so I I am newer to garbage genres. Thanks for including me. Thank you for um, being here. I have been listening at home enthusiastically for some time. What are you doing? Are you silently um, pumping your fists saying, yes? No, I'm... They I'm, said I'm, plain. I'm, no, I'm texting you and being okay. like, here are my thoughts. Okay. Um, my understanding is that, like, metaphor is not often a major feature of the garbage movie. You know, mm. like it's the the metaphor right. version is the good movie, right. and then the garbage movie is just the movie. This is the land of the literal. Yeah, is what you're saying. Well, I just I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, because it's like greed is a different beast than cash. Like in in I think like Treasure of Sierra Madre is in some ways like a garbage cash movie. I mean, it's also one of the greatest movies ever made. But that is more about how you know this dust in our hands will still drive us mad if we th- ascribe value to it, right? Right, right. That's a, a a movie about the desire for money is not the same as a garbage cash movie. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, because then it would be every... So movie. are we are we saying to, to begin this sort of Hall of Fame? Margin Call, which is this beautiful, refined film of nuance yep. and, and dogs... From the director that, of Craven the Hunter. Yes. 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 <laughs> J.C. Shandor. That's how he shall always be known. Is that a garbage cash movie? Uh, I, here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. We are removing the concerns of prestige. Okay. Okay. These are the best. Yeah. Because I loved what you said. Your point of view was great, which is that if we include the moral character, we put a new shade oh, around now, garbage. Now I'm the person that's like, we need to make moral judgments of all the characters. I didn't no, mean no, that. No, no, no. No, no it's, it's more just definitional. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So margin call goes in. Well, sir, if those assets decrease by just 25% and remain on our books, that loss would be greater than the current market capitalization of this entire company. I think it's a pretty classic example. It also was like, didn't do any That's business at the yeah. box office, didn't, yeah. wasn't nominated for any awards. Like, it's a movie that... It's like, it's, listen, it's really good. Jeremy Irons in particular, just A plus stuff, but it's not like Bettany is out of his oh, mind. Oh, Bettany's absolutely out of his Bettany mind. Bettany driving no, a Ferrari and so... smoking and being like, if I take my finger off the scale, all this goes away. <laughs> <laughs> Poof. It's good, but it has garbage yes, undertones. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. In in the best way. I uh, if they I they should have just made it. I like, mean, Penn Badgley's in this movie. Yes. You know? Yeah. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is are Wall Street and Glengarry Glenn Ross not eligible. Yeah, they're not specifically because they are referenced explicitly and exist in future garbage cash movies. Agreed. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I like that. Well, then I, I, I'm putting Boiler Room forward. As sure. A, a, yeah. A, yeah. An Boiler essential text. In. Margin call and Boiler Room are in. Anybody tells you money's the root of all evil doesn't fucking have any. They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? Those feel like no-brainers. Absolutely. So now we get into... I think the big short 
This is this is the big question. Is is a movie like this, which is nominated for Best Picture sure. and Screenplay? But you and... said we're taking prestige out okay. of it. Yeah. And it is referencing in its own way that mm-hmm. entire genre. Mm-hmm. It is has incredibly memorable, but in many ways a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um and has the essential, I mean, it is it is the text, it is about Wall Street, it is about the crash, and it is also about dudes just saying aggro things to each other mm-hmm. in rooms and on phones and at like everywhere all and the it, time. It's speaking to a very specific audience that does not quite understand what they're watching, which is kind of interesting. A lot of movies don't take that step, but all of the cutaways, the Bourdain and the Margot Robbie stuff and the like Does that work for straight you? Straight to the camera. Film? In this iteration, yes. One time around the block, I like it. <laughs> I see. Uh, and I, I would, agree, I would yes. say in after in subsequent watchings of Big Short, I don't like pause on the the Anthony Bourdain scene to like mm-hmm. really savor it. I'm just But like, you right. do pause when Margot Robbie is in the No, bathtub. I pause and and savor Ryan Gosling being like, I'm jacked to the tits. <laughs> so you're offering us a chance to short this pile of blocks. How? With something called a credit default swap. It's like insurance on the bond, and if it goes bust, you can make 10 to 1, even 20 to 1 return, and it's already slowly going bust. 10 to 1, 20 to 1? No way. And no one's paying attention. How did <laughs> Ryan Gosling get his hair to look that color? I don't know. Or that texture. Hair dye. But it's like a... It could be a wig. It, oh. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's part of the movie making process. I don't know if I've ever seen what Jared Vinette looks like in person. Like in real life. I think about fashion friends like every day. You know? It's really funny. Mm, he's more Do you wish you had here. fashion friends? I do have fashion friends. Okay. So, <laughs> and I think about them and I'm like, well, those are my, you but know. But when you're with me and, and Sean, are you like, listening, you, you guys know? aren't my real friends? I have fashion friends? No, 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 no. Okay. I, don't, I don't think about it that way. I just, I have friends who are like my fashion friends. Okay. What does that mean? They work in the fashion industry. As designers? No. Okay. <laughs> well, they're in the media. I mean, nothing yeah. against the media. I'm in the media. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're not. The, you're, it's not, you know, Giorgio Armani isn't like taking you up. Sure, but to they, go, they'll to talk go to with Whole me Foods. about fashion stuff. Yeah. Also, like <laughs> right. they know what's it's like going on. It's like you got on. Mets friends. Yeah, I have. I have like hardcore friends. I guess. Yeah, and I have you fashion know? friends. Uh, hardcore porn friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, you guys just watch porn together. We're just tape guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All those VHS trailers yeah. you were talking about earlier. Um, okay, so I'm with you. The big short is in. Margin call, boiler room, the big short. Let us continue. What else? The Wolf of Wall Street. I I think yes, even though it's one of, I, again, this is, we took prestige out of the equation so we can say it's just an absolute masterpiece that it also is about dudes doing drugs and being garbage and. Uh, I guess this is more the Money Hall of Fame now that we're getting to it, right? Well, that's what I'm saying is, can a masterpiece be uh, garbage? I don't know. We've never put a masterpiece in garbage, but they're all masterpieces, right? Yeah. Once we consecrate them. Yeah. I say, I, I, mean, I, it, I say yes. I uh, say listen, yes too. For, as always on these exercises, it's yeah. our list. That's right. That's true. You know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! 
Do both Wall Streets go on? No, I think that just Wall Street 2 goes on. I believe so. Wall Street Money Never Sleeps is in. And now I kind of want to rewatch it. I hope more people at home will rewatch it. Will you tweet out some of the clips of Brolin and Shia talking about their day trading? Yeah, I remember the Shia thing where he was just like, it's just it's just incredible. You know, at one point I was managing this much. And he was like, I was working with a guy at Schwab, you know, like. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're not day trading. You, Chris Ryan. I do not, no. And have you ever? No. And Okay. Do, yeah. do you, have you sought out individual stocks and acquired them? Uh, I have acquired shares. Do I really have to talk about my financial life? Uh, I have a financial <laughs> you can do advisor. You like. No, I just you, you know. have an event, a financial advisor. I have a financial advisor. I just... and I, am in, I am in the market, but like I do not have like my <laughs> hands on my stocks. Where I'm like, this is gonna go. This is gonna pop. Um, short this, like that kind of shit. I don't do that. So. I wasn't asking you to share like your financial <laughs> My planning. social security number yeah. is. I was just like, my dad is also just like has a day trading app and just, you know, has, oh, yeah. like a little, I never, and I like, I feel like that could be something I feel that, you that could way, get into. I feel the way about day trading as I do about sports gambling, which is like, I, I have a somewhat addictive personality. I think it's a slippery slope. I wouldn't okay. want to start playing. And losing money really bothers me. Okay. Like I, when I hear, I don't like it either. Bill and Sal podcast, like I get slightly nauseous be- of imagining like the amounts of money that are being thrown around, in a cool way, like mm-hmm. in a in a tantalizing way, but still, like I'm like the idea that like Sal's live betting parlays of two teams that are down twenty points, and I don't know how many dollars he's putting on that, but like that's that's intense. Do you, do you know what they say about scared money? No, it doesn't make it. it. Don't make none. Right. Okay. So yeah. just keep that in mind. Okay. You know. What about you? What about you? I'm in the market. Sure. <laughs> no one asked whether you're in the market. What about me? I just... You just asked me. You just said, what about you? What was the question? You're not, but you're not day trading. Does Eileen oh, oversee... No. Does Eileen day trade? No, never. That's the opposite of our strategy. Yeah. Uh, just It's a 30-year plan, right? Slow and I mean, steady Hopefully wins longer than that. <laughs> I'd like to make it past 70. Um... <laughs> no, but that might be part of why these movies are appealing. Like, I think this is really relevant because it is a little bit of a foreign experience for me, too. Yeah. I think people who are uh, who are day trading probably look at these movies the same way that, you know, we might look at a movie about a podcaster. You know, where you're like, that's not really how it works. Or that's not how it feels. But do you guys, because I was just thinking, I, I am not, I'm not day trading. My dad, you know, watches Bloomberg and, and does his stuff. My husband does not, but I was just thinking idly, and I was like, if my husband... He's going to listen to this and be mad, but whatever. If But if my husband put all the time and energy that he puts into following the Eagles mm-hmm. into day trading. I actually think it would be worse. Yeah, I don't think I it think works that would be that bad. Way. I yeah. think that there's like the streets are full of people who are like, I really like am putting a lot of time into this and lose all of their money. Yeah, this is probably sharing too much, but I will say like I've learned a tremendous amount of, of all, about all of this from my father-in-law, who's just a very, very smart guy. He's a math professor and he has coached me in a very defined way about this, which is to say, don't spend too much time like trying to figure out who the defensive coordinator of, you know, pharma company X is in order to invest in the company. He's like, what you need to look at is the bigger picture and not trend lines over days, but trend lines over years and understand them in that way. The way that we follow sports, Zach, me, Chris, every day I'm like, no, I'm, is the Mets hitting coach fired yet? Yeah, And I'm that's aware. no way to do it. Okay. In the as far as I understand it. All right. Um, that's good. That's good financial advice. I just, I just wanted that would to be... take a vacation. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get to Mexico. 
<laughs> okay, we have to keep adding movies. Trading places. Yeah, trading, trading places, places okay. yes. Trading places. We can throw the laundromat in. I like the laundromat, and I like Hustlers. Okay, the laundromat, Hustlers. That leaves us with, I think, three spots. Two, four, six, eight. Two spots left. See, it's tricky, right? Because the Hudsucker Proxy is not really, this is not garbage cash. Okay. That's a That's movie okay. about making a hula hoop. You know? Yeah. That's a movie about the, the ridiculousness of the corporate ladder. I, I, you know what? It's on this letterbox. We haven't discussed it at all. And it is a heist movie, but I kind of I do like Inside Man. As, as, as garbage cash? So why? Because it is about the outsiders trying to take down Little Bank Takes Big Bank. It is literally a heist of a bank. Yes. And it is about so in holding bank. a bank accountable for its trespasses to build its wealth. Hmm. But there aren't any like financial devices. No, I think it's, you know? safety deposit boxes are about as old as they get when it comes to financial devices. And there's not a lot of jargon. Okay. There's right. not, I mean, there's a lot of like dudes yelling at each other, but it's like about the president of Albania, not yeah. about like, I mean, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> that it's sequence. really, really funny. I think, I, it, I think I, it's missing a couple of things. I love that movie, but I don't know if. I think Brewster's Millions should go in, Sean. Sounds great. I'm going to watch it. Great. It's going in. I feel like arbitrage is really the last piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that I, I do as well. Because it's very similar to Margin Call. It's extremely specific about that world. There's high stakes. It's about a guy trying to get out mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to get in. It doesn't have that little guy formulation, but there are people who are kind of nipping at his heels in a post-Occupy Wall Street, post-08 universe. Big star performance. We haven't talked about the fact that these movies need big star performances, and if you don't have them, you can't have a yeah. good movie like this. And that there's certain actors who seem to be very adept at handling this kind of like world and language and Richard Gere, Michael Douglas are two of the best. So some of these movies are docudramas and some of them are clearly inspired by real stories. You guys have a preference of the two? Uh, inspired by. Yeah. And not beat for beat what happened. Yeah, because then you tend to get a little tied down. Mm-hmm. I'd rather read There's them. There's not enough distance. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. watch a movie that's inspired like a Madoff-esque figure rather mm-hmm. than this is what bringing me off did. Did you ever consider working in finance? No. No. Not even a little bit? No. I, I can't begin to explain how bad my math skills are. With your high-level education, did you ever consider it? <laughs> Just to be rude. Uh, for like two seconds. And then I was like, oh, I don't, uh, I can't pay attention. You know how sometimes when you start talking to me about a sci-fi movie, <laughs> and I'm like, I stopped listening. I, I am also sort of Were you like that about, when you were like 19? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I try my best to businessman. I tries to read the wall street journal. And sometimes I find myself like halfway through a, a, a article and I like, don't know what I've been reading, you know, like mm-hmm. I just can't yeah. take in the information. Um, so I decided to not make a lot of money. I, I worked in the world of finance. You did? Yeah. For 40 days. Uh, when I, when I graduated from college, I, I tried desperately, Chris has heard the story. I'm sure I tried desperately to find a job in a magazine. Applied to 50 magazines. No response. A couple months went by. I was living in New York with my soon-to-be wife and uh, not making any money. Got a call from my dad one day and he was like, you got to get a fucking job, dude. And uh, I was like, I don't know. How, I, I, how do I do that? I have, I have a very defined skill set. It's I can write about um, backpack wrappers. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, he was like, you call your uncle and you're going to get a job at your aunt's sister's financial firm, which was called UBS. 
um, which had just changed from Payne Weber to UBS. And so I went in and I interviewed. I wore a suit. I had I studied this not at all. I was entirely in the, the liberal arts. I took a, not a single math class in college. And this is really what's wrong with this country. And I sat down and I spoke to this woman who's a very wonderful, very nice woman. And she was like, I think I can help you out. We have an opening in our compliance department in money laundering. You Are you interested in working in anti-money laundering? And uh, I did. I took the job and I paid $55,000 a year, which I was completely unqualified for. It was quite a nice sum of money in 2004. And did that job. And I think did it pretty well, if I'm being honest, based on how I was trained. And so you basically read traders' emails and shit? I, I looked at transactions all Look day. at you already just being like, you I, I fucking look, narc. Yeah. Like. <laughs> no, I, I looked at trade. It, it was more like people moving money from one Weirdly, account to yeah. another. Okay. Curious financial so transactions. A Paul Pelosi action. Yes. And then you would raise a red flag and say, can you clarify the nature of this, this transaction? Now, I wasn't contacting anyone. I was just literally looking, looking at the at data all day yeah. long which of course I'm well suited to. You are. Um, and about 30 days into that job, I got uh, a phone call from Complex Magazine and they were like, we'd like you to come in and make $20,000 a year as a staff writer, um, which was a significant um, cut in pay, but was of course what I wanted to do with my life. And so I quit, badly burned a family bridge. That was yeah. a huge error on my part. I was going to say, how'd your dad um, take that? It didn't go well at all. Um, but I did spend a very small period of time in this orbit. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the people were nice. They were doing their best. I have one last wild card. Did we fill out our list? Yeah, we, we have done? 10 movies. Oh, but we right. can, yeah. What about Uncut Gems? Wow. Interesting. I, think of, I was thinking about this because wow. I was thinking about nominating telemarketers, which is the Safdie Brothers produced docuseries that's on HBO right now. And it's yes. about telemarketing and fraternal orders of police and their involvement with these telemarketing firms. Can I just say that the second episode of Telemarketers is my favorite thing that's come out this year. I, I can see this very much be... It's it's cut... It, if you like Safdie Brothers movies, if you like the work of Danny McBride, like you will really be into this. Incredible but, characters. Is there anything more garbage <laughs> and more obsessed with cash than Uncut Gems? <laughs> well... Like is is Eric Eric Bogosian in Uncut Gems is garbage. (laughs) Like yeah, but like yeah, just the loans, the bags of money. We got to ask Josh and Benny about this if they would feel comfortable being delineated into this space. Because on the one hand, it's a it's a true money movie, but it's not a heist movie. But there's no market. But the market, I guess, is the diamond market. Yeah, right. I mean, it's more of a it's a gambling movie. We're uh, yeah, I think we have like a pretty narrowly defined market here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the hall of fame yeah. it is like it is a wall street right you need to be list. able to talking about derivatives and, yeah. and trading stocks okay i th- i think I, I i like how you're thinking and i i tell marketers in some ways not in like killing them softly is like using these other chess pieces to play the same game you know telemarketers is closer than uncut gems in my opinion because they're just trying to it's the same as Boiler Room. Yeah. What they're doing is yeah. Boiler Room. They're just—it's a chop shop where they're convincing people to give them money for something that doesn't really exist. Yes. Um, so, man, well, telemarketers is a doc series, and I love—I so love the but. parallels between like what happens in Boiler Room or telemarketers, where they're just like literally selling worthless stickers mm-hmm. to margin call, and they're like, you know, Kevin Spacey's like, you will. You are selling people something that has no value, and he's just like, I'm selling it for the market price. Right, right. <laughs> well, I love the scams in Boiler Room where, you know, is it Taylor Nichols' character at a certain point is sold a stock for a pharma company 
that is developing a drug for premature born babies that helps them grow, which is like the greatest fake idea to make somebody yeah. feel good about buying a stock. It's just amazing stuff. Um, what would your fake stock be? We didn't have time to prepare for this. I feel like you at the beginning of every watch. <laughs> um, that was really funny when Bill was like, I, I let Van know ahead of time. Um, fucking bullshit. What? You were so stressed out. What would my fake stock be? It would be something in, just because you have a, a great knowledge of this, but like maybe something that you could sell as like a, in an Instagram ad. I was thinking a regenerative beauty product. Yeah, or like okay. oh, thank you. magic mushrooms. Yeah, but those are all real, you know? So. <laughs> now that you're in the pocket of your big beauty products. <laughs> can you imagine her calling you cold call? She's like, Sean, this is Amanda. Can I call you Sean? Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but you wake up, you look in the mirror and you're just like, those bags under my eyes are getting a little bigger. You know? What if there was something out there, a cream, a liniment? <laughs> Zach came in yesterday and was like, should I use an exfoliator? And it was like, uh, Amanda logged on. He read like one <laughs> blog post. And then I was like, okay, so let's talk about ingredients, you know? And then I legit, I went to the Grove to see a movie and I was like, I'm going to go to Sephora for you. I'm going to get you some like sample products. We're going to make a whole thing. We're Do you know what Zach was goes. doing while she was doing this though? <laughs> Watching Lioness. <laughs> Because he's my brother. That's one of us. Yeah. Also, are you guys exfoliating? Because you should. Uh, I exfoliate every day. It is the only thing that do is you, in my beauty every regimen. day. Every day. Okay. You're uh, not supposed to do that. I know. Yeah. But I do. What are you using? Uh, just like a Nivea product. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Is it like? I mean, how abrasive is the exfoliant? Abrasive. You're not supposed to do that every day. I know, day. but look at my face. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, you're not supposed to do that every day. <laughs> You have okay. lovely skin. It's literally the only thing I do. Yeah. Thank you so much. I spend far too much money on it. I, and it I, is I, also I learned a at hobby. the feet of the master who is my Yeah, wife. are you exfoliating? No. Bob, your cameras come on. You exfoliating? Oh, I well, uh, I I do, but not every day. But that's not that's what I, I turn my camera on. I turn my camera on to tell Chris I watched five episodes of Lioness in one night the other night when I was at my parents' house. Real ones. Just thought I'd update you on that. Bobby yeah. and Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Build your team with them. Start with I them. Would. Two shutdown That's quarters. That's the fucking franchise players right yeah, there. Those yeah. are the cornerstones. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Stefan Clay. <laughs> How is that Clay contract aging? <laughs> Keep that in mind. Um, what's your fake stock? God, that's a good question, Sean. I think I would do something. Like, I think I could sell them, honestly. Unfortunately, I do think that I am something gift of, a, of, of a bullshit artist. Yeah. And I think that I would do one thing that we used to do when I was a kid was sell sponsorships of Little League baseball teams. Mm -hmm. So we would go into local businesses and we would just be like, excuse me, sir. And like, you know, like yeah. really. Yeah. Like, Oliver Twist. Yeah, yeah, really like get the limp going. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, I still think <laughs> that when our children are old enough to play organized sports, mm -hmm. that we should sponsor a team. The big picture should. Yeah. You guys yeah. should have an AAU team. The big picture yeah. cinephiles. And then it'll fi we'll finally have some merch and it'll be like mm. the tiny soccer jerseys. Mm. Can't comment on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> for fear of retribution from my corporate overlords. I think that what I want to do is become a major force in youth soccer as like a tactical wizard, but actually have Eileen do all the coaching. <laughs> right. And right. I'll, I'll be like, you know, like the motivational speeches, the post-game press conferences... I will stand on the sideline and throw my hands up at a ref and just be like, you know, you're blind. But you know what happens. You're, you're just describing Nick Sirianni. Like that's, <laughs> that's what you are. I was going to say, like, when, when you're Kyle Shanahan and you have Mike McDaniel, 
eventually Mike McDaniel leaves. Yeah. So Eileen may want to find a team of her own. Okay. Just going to put that out there. I don't know. I don't really know if Eileen knows a lot about tactics. No. Got to check. Got to check in on that. She more of just like an effort merchant. I, that, honestly, yes. I think that was really just her like, style. I'm just she was really strong. Two footed. I really saw, fast. There's an amazing video I got to share with you from the Honduran League uh, of a guy fucking slide tackling two footed takes out two guys on the opposition. It is unreal. And like the video starts actually with two men rolling around holding their shins. And these guys speaking in Spanish and just be like, oh my God, this is fucking awful. Ay, Dios mío. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, what's your stock? Uh, New York Mets. Okay. You know, yeah. Good job. I've, got a, I've yeah. got a story to tell you about a once proud franchise yeah, that will so rise again. Regenerative beauty, Little League sponsorships. That is telemarketers, is me walking around just being like, these kids, they can't get shirts unless you put 50 bucks into this, you know? Uh, and you would do the Mets, the failing New York Mets. Uh, what happens say- if Steve if Steve divests? What do you mean divests? Do you, would, you, would you want it to become like a cooperative, you know, like the Packers? Would I want that? Yeah. Like, would the, you the want insane a- people of New York City owning the Mets? You no. and all the bald Have guys. Have you listened to WFAM? <laughs> uh, no, we can't have that. No, we need, we need Steve to hold the team. He's the wealthiest owner in sports. It's a good thing. He spends the money. It's great. He just needs to have good management. He's hired a new president of baseball operations, David Stearns, who was raised a Mets fan. Things are looking up, right? Can I ask Bobby, one, more, me out one more other thing? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. This is really, you can cut this if you yeah. want. But it kind of like tangentially has to do with money. Okay. Did do you, you know see... how many times we've just completely cut you out of episodes we've recorded with you? No. Like you've <laughs> hardly appeared on any episodes of this Never. show. I, first of all, that's not true because sometimes to amuse myself, I listen back to these, mostly to chart your nervous breakdowns <laughs> and just be like, where was he like that week? Oh, uh, that yeah. was the Thanos week. Like, <laughs> and uh, anyway, there's this video from First Take the other day okay. that you got to see where, I don't know if Bobby, if you've seen Is this. Is it Steven... It's Chris Russo talking about getting hammered at noon and taking a gummy and betting $10,000 on Colorado Buffalo's football. (laughs) That was a great video. Yeah. Truly special stuff. I thought it was... So, Stephen A. Smith's not first take? He is. He's in the video. I saw that that he was just, like, screaming about uh, spending $20,000 taking his children to the Eras tour. Mm. And I was like, oh, I should see that video. (laughs) Not that I've been to the Eras tour or have $20,000 to spend on it. Do you want to come see the Eras movie with us, Chris? I was listening to you guys talk about this. Um, it sounds like you have a complicated relationship to both this film and Taylor Swift's music. Me? Yeah. I don't. I don't really have a relationship to her music. But the the prospect of putting on f- friendship bracelets seemed to terrify you like you saw the Babadook. Uh, it was something I was not aware of. Yeah. It was a trend that I found a little concerning. <laughs> in Sean's defense, I, as I was thinking through it, I was being like, well, will you trade a friendship bracelet with the like 10-year-old girl you don't know? And I think Sean's answer to that was rightfully no. I think that's, I think you that's know, right. Yeah. There was an update about this. AMC said that they're going to be hand, handing yeah. them out, I think, yeah. at the screenings. I mean, so you'll I think get one anyway, it, Sean. Like, if Amanda and I were to trade friendship bracelets, that's reasonable. Okay. We're peers. I just don't know if it's great. And I'm not making an explicit connection here. But, like, when we get to the end of the year, and it's like, yeah, Barbie and Oppenheimer, but, like, the two success stories of this year were the Eras Tour movie and Sound of Freedom. Those gonna, are the independent success stories. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be dark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it says a lot about independence. As cinema. us nerds like, oh, Hal Hartley's on the Criterion channel. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I don't, I, the Aeros Tour movie being successful doesn't say a lot in either direction right. or the other than that she's just 
really She's, fucking huge. Yeah. But Chris, you you don't want to come with us, or you do? Uh, I do. Yeah. Okay. I, do. I invited your wife last night as well. She's excited for the movie. Um, yeah. So she already has tickets with other with her fashion friends, but maybe nice. like she'll have. I'd be come happy with to join as well. Guys. Great. Yeah. Last night I uh, I booked a ticket to see a rep screening of Boogie Nights uh, that ends forty five minutes before I'm going to see Taylor Swift the Eras tour. So it could be the, just like the most Bobby day of all time. Bob, you're getting big picture pilled, dog. You don't have to watch seven hours of movies a day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I'm not doing it <laughs> out of necessity. I'm doing it out of desire. The passion grows yeah. ever stronger. Film will never die. <laughs> Bob, thanks so much for your work on this episode. You're a producer. Sean, uh, you engineered it, though. I did engineer it. <laughs> I am the engineer of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, what, what, are we, what are we doing next? Aren't I on again soon? You yeah. are. Yeah. You guys are doing sci-fi. Have you seen The Creator? We're okay. seeing it tonight. Oh, that's cute. Me and Femrock yeah. going to Burbank with Mel. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I have nice. Se- I've seen the trailer like five times now before the various movies. It's they're, a very effective trailer. They're pushing it hard. Yeah. I would say I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really ready to see it. Yeah. I hope it's good. So Chris will come back and we'll do that next week. But then also we're talking about uh, Stop Making Sense and our favorite concert films with Rob Harvilla, which should be a very fun episode. Yeah. And we'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.